Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Well, to our, our family online, we're thrilled to have you as well. As Today, we're kicking off this brand new series as we're going through the book of Ephesians. We'll be in this for about six weeks together. And here's what I want to do today. I want to give us some historical context so that when we look at the passage that we're going to read, my hope and my prayer is that it just like comes alive in a fresh way and that God actually uses it to transform you, to change you, to change your perspective and to change your life so you can have this greater uh, appreciation and understanding of this great God that we love and that we serve. So to kick it off, we, we need to tell you about, we're studying Ephesians, so we need to tell you about the city of Ephesus. It's located in Asia Minor, or what is modern-day Turkey. And, and Ephesus was really the, the center, if you will, between the Eastern Asian world and the Greek Roman Western world. And I want to take you back to Alexander the Great. He was a Greek conqueror who set out to conquer the world in about 334 BC, and he did so by the time he was about 32, 33 years old, traveling all the way to India and just crushing and demolishing everyone in his path. From a biblical point of view, his reign, rule and reign was, dur- was during the, what we call the intertestamental period, which was this period of time between the Old Testament prophet Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew or the Gospels in the New Testament. Now you and I, we're going to just have a much better understanding of the New Testament if we at least have a little bit of an understanding of Alexander the Great. And here's why. Because those who lived during the New Testament and when it was written, they were largely influenced by Greek culture, which had been spread around the known world by Alexander the Great. Alexander and the Greeks were driven by certain ideals. They were driven by human worth and achievement. The Greeks saw the human being, really the naked human being, as the center of everything. The naked human body was the highest form of beauty and worship. And so the Greeks, they valued beauty and courage and value, or they valued accomplishments, and they valued valor, how beautiful you are, what you could achieve how you could climb to the top, how famous you are, how you could dominate the competition to be the best in whatever chosen field you are in. And I listen to all that and I think, does that sound like any culture you know? A Greek historian said glory won by achievement was agreed to be the straightest path to heaven. Achievement accomplishment, how intelligent you are, how gifted you are, how beautiful you are, how good you are athletically. This is the center of the Greek worldview with humanity or the human body held as the highest ideal. Now, Alexander believes these these ideals, these values, should be front and center in every culture and every civilization. So whenever he would conquer a city, it was his goal to introduce the Greek worldview and Greek culture and to make it so compelling and so attractive that people would just begin to embrace it as their way of life. 
Now, part of his strategy to accomplish these goals he used was he would build buildings. So, for example, first he would go into a city and he would build gymnasiums. Now, the, the word gymnasium in Greek literally means naked place. The naked place. So your mind can, you think about gyms and your mind can go wherever it goes. But, but keep in mind, in, in, the, in the Greek worldview, they had this holistic way of thinking, mind, body, and spirit. So whenever you went to the gymnasium, you would make your offering to the gods. And then you would begin to work out and you would sweat and you would tone yourself and you, and you would play sports. And you do all of this while you were nude. And then you'd put some clothes on and you would go to the classrooms at the gym. And there you would learn about the poets and you would learn the stories and study the dramas and study the Greek gods. The point is you were immersed into the Greek worldview at the gymnasium. Well, eventually you began to see the value of this and you started uh, um, having your kids go to the gymnasium as well. And so they too began to be caught up in the Greek worldview. And it was at the gymnasium that you would learn eloquent, what we would call today eloquent or classical Greek. Alexander wanted everybody to speak Greek. Now, I find that a little bit interesting because the Apostle Paul was one who spoke and wrote an eloquent classical Greek. Which, you know, you think about that, it just starts raising some questions, right? Like, where did he learn that? Was it at the gym, if, the gymnasium? If it was, how did he stay true to God? You just start, you know, questions come to mind. Well, Alexander the Great, he, he built these gymnasiums. He also built these beautiful marble temples for the gods, as people would worship all the gods of the pantheon because of course you had to worship the gods, you had to do everything you could to make sure that you appeased the gods, that the gods were happy. Alexander the Great would also build arenas. These arenas could hold as many as 30,000 people in them. And just picture this in Elk Grove. Imagine if we had this outdoor arena that could seat 30,000 people and it was all, there were games and activities and festivities always happening there. And that's what happened in these cities. And so people, just part of their way of life became such that people, that's where you went and gathered. It was the place to be. It's where business transactions took place. It's where, it's where and you watch the gladiators, you watch the athletes, you, you watch the festivities. And so the Greek way of life, it just moved in and overtook the cities. Alexander also built theaters. It's at the theaters that the stories were told, the plays. You would learn the stories of the Greek gods. You would learn the stories of how to make them happy. You would be further indoctrinated into the Greek ethos. And oftentimes, these Greek theaters wouldn't have a backdrop or they would, they would be built in such a way that, that you, when you were watching the story unfold, and we have a couple pictures there, you can see some of these theaters, and, and, and the theaters were built so you could overlook the city. And so imagine there's no backdrop, or you're sitting above the backdrop, and you're looking over your city as you are seeing and hearing about the Greek gods and the Greek way of life in the stories played out in these, what you know, we call movies, or at the theater. Imagine what that was doing to you. It was sending a message to you as you looked over your city watching this story. Oh, this is how my life is supposed to be here in my city. This is what life is all about. This is what life is meant to be. Again, 
Alexander's goal, complete immersion into the Greek way of life, the Greek way of thinking, the Greek culture. So now I want you to imagine, you're a 13-year-old Jewish kid. Okay, 13-year-old Jewish kid, you and your parents, you all wear these plain, nondescript clothes. You set aside one day a week that you call Shabbat or Sabbath where you don't really go out, you don't interact with others, and you don't have any images, you don't have any gods because your God, Yahweh, has commanded you against those. So your friends, they're all going out to the theater on Friday night. And they're watching the gladiators and having this incredible time and they're dressed up wearing their fancy Greek clothing and you're sitting at home memorizing Leviticus. Your parents are talking to you about the historical ancient figures, Moses and Elijah, and your friends are like, man, you missed it Friday night. Maximilius, the gladiator, was in town, and he's the best gladiator we've ever seen. Oh, man, you missed last, you know, Friday or Saturday at the theater. Seriously, the best movie we have ever seen, ever. You missed it. Your parents are clinging what you as a little 13-year-old Jewish kid appears to be an archaic way of living in comparison to this Greek way of life. And your way that, that you've been following, it isn't very compelling. And it doesn't have room for sports or, or movies or the theater. And yet your friend are all having these, friends are having these amazing experience at the arena and the theater and the gymnasium. And you're wondering, why do I stick with this religion? Why do I follow this God? Why do I follow this way of life? So you had the theater where the stories of the Greek way of life are told. You have the arena for athletics. You have the gymnasium for for working out your body, but also your mind for education and further indoctrination. And I'm just wondering, does it sound like any culture you know? The reality is Hellenism, which is what it was called, Hellenism is alive and well today in our culture. Now, something happens when you begin to place the worth of human life on how much you achieve or how beautiful you are. I want you to think about this for a moment. Over time, if you're being taught that your value comes from how how beautiful you are, how pretty you are, how handsome you are, if your worth, if your value, if your identity comes from how well you do athletically, if your merit or standing within a community is based on how intelligent you are, how good you are with your grades, how successful you are in your business, what's gonna happen over time? Over time, eventually, you will put worth or value on human life based on factors other than the simple fact that it is a human life created in the image of God. So how does this play out in ancient cultures? Well, let's listen to what Aristotle and Plato have to say. Plato said it this, or Aristotle said it this way. He said, as to the exposure of children... Let there be a law that no deformed child shall live. You can't keep it. Why? It doesn't fit into our worldview. 
You need to end that child's life. Plato said it this way, the offspring of the good, the good people are reared. The offspring of inferior parents, as well as any deformed offspring of the others, will be secreted away, which simply meant taken to the wilderness to die. The ancient practice of infanticide. In Plutarch's book, uh, The Life of Lysegis, and Lysegis was the lawgiver of, of Sparta. And this ancient writer, he reports and talks about Sparta, and he says that when the newborn babies were born, they would be examined by the elders of the city. And if the elders of the, of the city determined that the baby was healthy and that it had no issues or no deformities or no blemishes, then the family could raise that child. But if the baby was found to be sickly or deformed or have any blemishes in any way, they were taken to the mountain there in, in, in Sparta, the highest mountain in Sparta, where they were thrown into a chasm off of the cliff. It was the Spartan way of life. It was the Spartan belief that if you got off to the wrong start in terms of your health, in terms of your strength, you were, it was disadvantageous to you, to your family, to the city, to the state. In other words, if you didn't meet the right criteria, you have no place in Greek society. Now, I know that's a lot of background and context and history, but you need to understand, that's the understanding, that's what's happening during the time that the New Testament letter of Ephesians is being written. That's what's happening during the first century when all the apostles were alive. That's what's happening when, when the church first gets started. And I can't help but wonder, are we traveling down some of these slippery slopes today of putting value on human life based on other factors simply than the fact that it's a human life created in the image of God and thus in and of itself it is valuable. So a deformed or imperfect baby in the first century, it was basically seen as a curse. It was called the divine displeasure of the gods. Remember, the Greek worldview, it's holistic, right? Mind, body, and spirit. So if something is wrong physically, there must be something wrong spiritually, and so what do you need to do? You need to satisfy the gods, you need to appease the gods to get right again with the gods. You need to figure out what was going on and you needed to make it right. Now what's terrible about this theology, this thinking, it has even been mixed into Christianity for the last 2,000 years. How there would be at times and seasons and centuries where where you were looked down upon. Oh, you're, something's wrong with you physically? Well, you must not have enough faith. Oh, you must have sin in your life. You can't get pregnant? Oh, what sin is in your life? What's wrong in your life? God is not choosing to bless you, but he's blessing everybody else. And on and on and on, this false, terrible theology has crept into Christianity that has based um, our worth, our value, and, and based on our phys the physicality and being healthy and physically strong. Otherwise, there must be something wrong with you spiritually. So, According to the Greek worldview, you have to appease the gods. So how would you do it? Well, in Ephesus, here's how they did it. If you had an imperfect or deformed infant or an infant with a blemish, 
you would take it up the hill in Ephesus where you would leave it to die. You get a little picture there. You can see the theater again. It overlooks the city. Got a couple of different images and you have the hill there. And these babies, these infants were taken up the hill and they were left to die. Now, it's tragic. To add to this, you had another group of people who went up the mountain. And these others who went up the mountain, they went up the mountain for a different reason. They were looking for these, left, these infants that were left, and they were looking through them, combing through them, trying to find an infant that they believe had the potential to be a slave. They weren't good enough to be a son or a daughter, but maybe they had the potential to be a slave. Now, it's interesting to me because when we look in Ephesians, uh, Paul's later going to talk about and address masters and slaves. In other words, it's very likely that there are people who are in that first Ephesian church who had been left on the mountain to die, and the only reason that they're alive is because someone needed a slave. There's the backdrop. There's our context. With that in mind, let's open up Ephesians chapter 1, and we want to look at verse 3. Let's see what the Apostle Paul writes to these Ephesians, a group of people who he had spent, he had spent three years with, and now 10 years later, he's writing this letter to them, and he says this. Verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Remember, in the Greek way of life, it was all about being blessed by the gods who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing, not in the gods, but in Christ. Verse four, for he, God, chose us. Everybody say chose. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Everybody say blameless. To be blameless in his sight. What does that word blameless mean? It literally means in the Greek, without defect, without blemish. Huh. Paul says God chose us in Jesus Christ before the creation of the world and that we are without defect, without blemish in his sight. In other words, our God is not like the Greek, Greek gods. Our God is not like the Greek culture. Our God is not like the Greeks. He sees you in Christ Jesus. He doesn't see any deformities. He doesn't see that you're defective or that you're imperfect. He sees you in Jesus. He doesn't see a long list of ways in which you don't measure up. No, no, no. He sees you as holy, without defect, blameless in his sight. And he goes on in verse five and notice what he says. He says, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons, not as slaves, but to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and his will. He predestined us to be adopted as his son. That word predestined, it simply means he decided in advance. God decided in advance that you and I would be chosen by him, would be adopted into his family. Again, verse four, notice what it says. He chose us. Now you and I hear that and we kind of typically blow through these couple verses as we're reading Ephesians. But I imagine those Ephesians who gathered together in the home when this letter was read for the very first time I imagine when these verses were read, I imagine people just began to weep in that room. 
and the tears just flowed. Why? Because adoption for them was a painful reminder that they were unwanted, that they were left for dead, that they were imperfect, that they were blemished, that they were deformed. And the only reason they're actually alive is because somebody needed a slave. I've grown up my whole life knowing I'm defective. I'm the result of God's divine displeasure. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You are a result of a God who takes pleasure in you. God chooses you. I don't want you to miss it. You and I love a God. You and I serve a God who goes up the mountain And he chooses us not to be his slave, but to be his child. He chooses us and adopts us into his family. I think somebody's got to say amen to that. I don't know about you, but that's overwhelming to me. You know, all of us at some point or another in our life, we have received messages that speak to our value and worth, which impacts and affects our identity and how we uh, see ourselves. Man, our culture is no different than this Greek culture because our culture has been telling us that our value and our worth is based on how we look. It is based on how much we make, how popular we are, what we do for a living, what we accomplish, who we know and who we don't know. But this scripture says, but in Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, God says you are holy, you are perfect, you are blameless without defect. Just imagine, just imagine if you had been abandoned on a hill because you weren't good enough. And you've lived your whole life knowing you've been raised by those people who just needed a slave. And Paul now has told you, you've been adopted as a child into the family of God. Paul is saying, our God is not like the Greeks or the Greek gods. I don't know all the ways you've been taught that you don't measure up through friends, family, culture, social media, all sorts of ways that you've received a message that says you're not. You're not good enough. You're not the right this. You're not the right that. But I praise Jesus, we have a God who says, you're all right. You're all good. You're not defective. You're not leftovers. That God looks at you and God looks at me and he rejoices. Some of you might say, yeah, Chris, that's all fine, but If God really knew me, if God knew what I think, if God knew what I have done, listen, he already does know. He knew, that's why he pre-decided in advance he was gonna choose us. In fact, Ephesians chapter two says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. God already knows. Left to ourselves, we are defective or dead in our sins. And so God says, I wanna change that. And I want to save you from that. So maybe, just maybe, your story, your testimony, part of that can be, maybe part of your story, the way you communicate it to people, is that you say, hey, I was dead. I was left for dead in my sins on the hill. 
But God hiked up the mountain and he saved me and he rescued me from my sins through Jesus Christ dying on a cross so that I could live. And he adopted me into his family so I could come home and be his kid, his child. So one more time, let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, as it says, In love, God predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and his will. According to his pleasure and his will. There's almost this sense that God's will is his pleasure. That's God's will is the things that God enjoys. Now, by the way, these early Christians, they grabbed a hold of these verses. They grabbed a hold of this idea of being adopted into the family of God as a child of God. So much so that it was the Christians who began hiking up the hill and going in and taking those infants, those toddlers, those babies, taking them out of you know, their landfill, so to speak. And they take those children not to be slaves, but to be their very own. And it was because of the Christians, as this began to spread throughout the known world, it was because of the Christians that society and culture was changed when it came to this idea of kids were dispensable. How awful it is in our culture today that we have reinstituted this Greek culture of infanticide. Now, sure, modern technology, we don't wait for the baby to be born and hike up a mountain to leave them to die. No, we just take their lives in the womb. 63 million of them since 1973, Roe versus Wade decision. 63 million. Man, what if Christians right now today started to step up like those in the first century? What if we begin to actively speak out and be a voice for the voiceless? Because let's just be real for a minute. Christians, just like the rest of our society, have been largely silent. Now sure, there's groups and organizations and pockets, but man, Christians have been silent. And I believe God's calling the church out to speak up and to speak out, man, God is going to hold us accountable for these 60 million children and counting. God is a God of life. God saves, God saves, God saves. And God looks at you and he enjoys you. God looks at you and says, you aren't a sign of my divine displeasure. You are a result of my pleasure and my will. It is my pleasure. That wasn't invented by, you know, Chick-fil-A, they're saying. God invented it. It's my pleasure to adopt you into my family, to join my family. I got some weird kids, but I'd like you to be a part of the family of God. What if every single time that you were reminded of whatever deformities are in your life? What if every time you were reminded when certain messages were sent to you from friends and family and, and culture and social media, every time you were sent a message that you don't measure up, that there is a blemish, that there are issues, what if every single time that that message gets sent to you and it gets sent to you constantly, what if you 
allowed your heart to just leap out, allow this passage to leap out of your heart. And you say, and you speak, and you remind yourself, I belong to God, I belong to God, I'm one of his kids, he takes pleasure in me. They say this about you, and you say, no, I belong to God, he takes pleasure in me, I'm a part of his family, I'm his child. And I wanna invite you, I wanna invite you, when the message comes, that you don't measure up, when the message comes, that you're inferior, that you're defective, that you have issues. I wanna invite you to say this as in our last series, right? Say it, declare it, write it until you believe it. Say it, declare it, write it till you believe it. I belong to God. I'm one of his kids and he takes pleasure in me. I belong to God. I'm one of his kids and he takes pleasure in me. In a moment, we're gonna participate in the Lord's Supper or communion. And I wanna read this verse from Galatians which says this way, it says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us. Say freedom. God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Man, Jesus died on a cross to buy your freedom. Freedom from sin and death. Freedom to live as a child of God. God pre-decided that you could be in his family. The question is, will you choose him? And when we participate in communion this morning, you are celebrating adoption into the family of God. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he wants you to be a part of his family. So he's waiting right now. Will you open your heart to him? Will you open your life to him and join the rest of the, God, uh, rest of the family of God? Again, he's got some weird kids, but it's all good. Let, join in to this weird, amazing family that we call the family of God. God invites you to join us, to be his kids. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, almighty God, thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us so much that you would climb the mountain to rescue us, to save us from death, from eternal death, so that we could live. Thank you, Jesus, for buying our freedom, that we could be adopted into your family. God, we thank you that you are in the adoption business. And God, right now, as we participate in communion and these elements, remembering that you shed, you, your body was broken, so that we can be saved. We take this bread, we take this juice, which represents your blood poured out for us. God, thank you for this reminder that we are in your family. And if you aren't part of the family of God yet, I wanna invite you right now to pray with me. God will welcome you into his family. What do you, how do you pray? You just in faith, say something like this. It's not even the exact words, it's more that you mean it, that it's real to you. So pray something like this, say, thank you, Jesus for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying so that I could live. Thank you, Jesus, for inviting me into your family to be a child of God. So as best as I know how in faith, I just surrender my life to you, God. I make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. 
And I'm gonna choose to no longer live for myself, but to live for you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me a hope and a future. Thank you for allowing me to be in your family. I love you, Jesus. It's in your name I pray. God, hear each of these prayers as you expand your family once again. We worship you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.